You can't leave the house without a coffee or a beer or a beer-flavored coffee or a coffee-flavored beer with cannabis in it. Uh, we are, of course, in Washington State, and I couldn't be more delighted because there's something you can do in Washington State that the land of the free uh, should have had billions of years ago. Of course, billions of years ago, we were just molten white people waiting to invade another continent. And that's the fact that you can walk into a store and buy marijuana like a grown-up here by simply showing your identification. Uh, we went to one today. I won't say with who or anything. And um, we were, you know, we were just rolling around Bellingham like you do. Let me set the scene for people living out there in um, Proopcast land. Uh, when I say living, I, of course, mean dwelling. And when I say dwelling, I mean habitating out at the bitter hinterlands of the end of the vodcast regions, uh, which are indeed enduring a, a horrible and privation-filled winter, while we here on the West Coast are enjoying the bounty of 65-degree days and a light breeze. In Feb you know what? Global warming's not all bad. Part of it's good. Part of it's good. If you live in New York or Boston, you're like, fuck this science. I hate this shit. If you live here, you're like, what? It hasn't rained in a fucking year. I love it. Uh, because this is supposed to be the damp Northwest, but it was the light breeze Northwest today with uh, uh, seagulls in fine fettle. I was down at the, at the docks, as I do, uh, entertaining sailors in my way, and... Uh, uh, you know, just uh, listening to the clanging of the bells and watching the, the gentle whitecaps break. And there were very few today. It was such a subtle and uh, a Pacific uh, sea out there. The body of water that's next to it, Bellingham. What's the name of that? Bellingham Bay. Bellingham Bay. Uh, which is, by the way, a condo I'm selling a little bit later in the show, if you'd like to join me there. The Proop Suite is a tremendous value. Uh, it's a timeshare, and uh, it's right on Bellingham Bay. Uh, there's a guaranteed orcas in the morning. Uh, I've trained the orcas who uh, swim in front of the proof suite at Bellingham Bay uh, to do the tail walk, and uh, they also do the, the one where they jump in the air and spin. You know, like they do at all the cetacean concentration camps like SeaWorld and whatnot, where they, where they take highly intelligent animals from the sea and make them our slaves and make them perform rudimentary tricks with their complex brains and all they can wait to do is eat our legs off and quite right if i was an orca i would just be biding my fucking time until the smelly pink thing came in the water again and talked baby talk to me at that point when i'm having to fucking learn for the 15th time like okay i'm eating you now fuck this shit I don't know if you know, but I led a killing pack when I was on the ocean. I was a captain, okay? Uh, now you've got me twirling tricks and stuff, and people are throwing pink popcorn in the pool, and it's going in my blowhole. So we rolled up to one of these cannabis places, and uh, I, can, I guess I could give them a plug. It's legal here, for fuck's sake. Um, 
If you're, as I say, if you're living and listening out there in Proopcast land, uh, uh, the state of Washington is at the uh, uppermost corner of the United States, not at the uppermost corner of North America. These are uh, patent false boundaries that were uh, made by uh, different European entities over the last couple of hundred years. This is the story of America. Uh, above the boundary was the British area. Uh, below was the uh, white people America manifest destiny, kick the fucking Spanish out area. And then below that was where everyone got slaughtered relentlessly. And um, we call that the rest of the world. And in any case, uh, uh, Washington is a, a beautiful place. There's a, a mountain that looms over this little town here. We're uh, north of Seattle, which is to say uh, we're in the coffee belt, uh, but we're also uh, in, in the rich Cush heartland. Um, it's a, a giant purple stripe with red hairs in it that runs all the way from British Columbia. Uh, down through Northern California and uh, terminates right above Santa Barbara where there's a bummer zone that's been built up and a giant desert that warns you you're about to enter Los Angeles, which is Gomorrah uh, to Vegas's Sodom, if you will, or rather the other way around, I suppose. Uh, in any case, if you're listening out there, marijuana is legal to buy over-the-counter here. Uh, you don't have to have a medicinal marijuana card. It's like Amsterdam, let me put it that way, except that uh, the people who sell you the marijuana don't look like they were the bassist in the Allman Brothers, and they don't have a giant belt buckle with their name on it, and they're not wearing a belt on a chain. That would be the difference between Amsterdam and here. And uh, you can also sit down in a coffee shop in Amsterdam and roll one up and burn it right there on the premises. And you can't do that here. It actually, there was a sign in front of this one today that said, please do not comestibize the tootles in the penipity of the vicinity. Uh, but I got the idea. Uh, they don't want you to buy a bunch of pre-rolled and then light one up in the car park and then jump in your fucking ride and peel out and shit. <laughs> And go to one of your quaint and curious burger stands. or Because Bellingham is like, this is like a, a, a Smallville or whatever. There's, you know, what's that movie where everything's in color and then it's in black and white? And uh, What's the name of that movie? Welcome to... Yeah, this is like Pleasantville. It's, uh, it's white people in polar fleeces pushing baby carriages. And uh, there's, a, there's a soda shop. There's a soda shop. Uh, there's bookstores where gray-haired artist types are poring over volumes, and there's children frolicking near the seashore, and there's every manner of healthy activity going on. People running. A woman was doing yoga on a piece of concrete in front of me today. It was highly unsanitary. And uh, that's what goes on up here. You'll find people wear bicycles when they ride. Uh, they wear helmets when they ride. It would be awesome if people wore bicycles here. And they kind of <laughs> do in a way because they carry them around. Uh, and it's, it's, a bicycle is an accessory here. And it says, I'm white uh, and my life's going to be pretty smooth sailing. Um, <laughs> People wear helmets when they ride bikes here because they ride at unbelievable velocity over these mountains and hills here. Uh, it's, it's a quaint and curious town, and uh, um, uh, there's a Mexican restaurant uh, so that they uh, can make a living in their own small way as part of your community. And uh, then there's all manner of boats and, and bells ring and fishing. And uh, uh, you hear, you know, uh, where I was today, you hear the. And then. And then and then the sound of a frisbee being flipped someone's gonna buy a candle soy because as you know as I've said on the show before because wax harms nothing 
And uh, so you can buy the marijuana here right over the counter. Like you can in Colorado, like you will be able to in Oregon. Is Alaska going legal? That'll be awesome. Alaska went legal a long time ago. I'll tell you something. I haven't been to Alaska in about 25 years, but I played there once during the summer in the early 90s, and there was a salmon run in the middle of Anchorage, right? So I, would walk, I went down, and I, I uh, scored some of their marijuana, which is called Matanuska Valley Thunderfuck. And <laughs> there was an unbelievable amount of red hair coming out of the bag. It was as if uh, Julianne Moore was having a confab <laughs> with, yeah, with Lucille Ball at... Emma Stone's house. It got, uh, Jessica Chastain came by. You'd open up the bag and all you'd hear were movie themes and, uh, and moose and whatnot. Uh, there were moose in the town. I mean, not like, you know, like not at the Arby's or whatever. You're like, hey, I'd like a roast beef sandwich. You know, but I mean, like there are moose wandering about and whatnot. And, um, uh, and, and the, the weed was very strong. And I remember watching the, it was so, it was so st- sticky. It was the icky, icky that you could, I rolled it in a joint and the joint, you know how when weed is so wet, I rolled it in a joint and the joint bowed like, like that. And you're like, wow, stop sucking into yourself. Stay flat so I can get there. Uh, and that was uh, lovely. And uh, it wasn't that hard to come by, I'll tell you that. Uh, all I remember about Alaska was um, the cook had intermittent teeth and uh, didn't show up one night because he was drunk. Uh, most of the staff spent the whole day at the strip joint called the Alaska Bush Company. <laughs> I leave it to you to imagine the goings-on at the Alaska Bush Company. I did not attend. And uh, as Greg Barrett used to say, I love going to a strip joint and watching girls dance and then getting a big heart on it and then fucking driving home. <laughs> It, 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 really? 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 I'm questioning. Uh, and uh, so I'd, I'd like to go back to the when it's legal. I mean, it's a stunning. Uh, I, try to, I try to drag Ryan up every once in a while. They make us an offer every once in a while to go to Alaska, and I, I don't think Ryan wants to go. I, I don't think it's glamorous enough for him. I, we were, after all, at an Anna Cordez last night, so uh, we're, pretty, we're pretty cheesy about where we play. We're sitting backstage before the show last night. I'm talking about, we do a show called Who's Live Anyway with uh, uh, Ryan Stiles and uh, Jeff Davis and Joel Murray and Bob Durkatch. And we uh, do our little improv. And uh, we know we don't prepare anything funny beforehand. And so we, that was supposed to be funny, but I forgot we're in an improv theater. There's probably 60 people in this room who do improv, at least on a part-time basis. And everyone's like, are you saying improv's not funny? I'm saying what you do as improv's not funny. What I do at improv... What I do... No, seriously. What I do with improv is fucking hilarious. There's no question of that. Ryan, very, very funny. The other two fellows, they're, they're good. Uh... You know, because on TV, I work with the bald guy and the other guy, and uh, they're very good as well. I adore them. When I think of them and I think of their names, it makes me, it, it gives me, it, I smile inside. Uh, and we're sitting backstage, and Ryan goes, uh, there's no place I'd rather be than Valentine's Day with you guys. He was being ironic, of course. And we all had a good laugh over that. And then uh, I said, could everybody stop drinking out of my water bottle on stage? And Jeff Davis, who you'll remember from such anecdotes as the cab drive in Washington, D.C., and molesting me on the bus, uh, 
goes, that's my bottle of water. I put it next to Bob's piano, and I said, that was my bottle of water. And he came over and drank out of it three times last night. And Ryan goes, it's Valentine's Day, and we're having our first fight. (laughs) I had to lie on top of Jeff for half an hour to calm him down. So we rolled into this place today, and it was called uh, Happy Valley Farms. And their logo is a bee standing on top of what appears to be uh, a triangular hexagonal. Or, or what is that? What uh, do bees work in hexagons? Or what do they work in? Yes, honeycombs. I know. I'm talking. In- I, I meant the geometrical shape, the hexagon. You know, the, the shape of a, of a honeycomb. It's a what? It's a hexagon. Yes, a, a honeycomb, yes. Uh, come to the honeycomb hideout. The honeycomb kids are there. Uh, honeycomb is a delicious cereal from my youth. I don't know if they still have it. Um, and then, of course, the honeycomb did. I'm uh, going to put it in the one ads. My man and I are through. Going to put it in the one ads. Want it, ba-bum, young man, single and free. Experience in love preferred, but will accept a young trainee. That's my favorite line. Will accept a young trainee. Yeah. They were badass, honeycomb. I believe it was the honeycomb who did that. Don't ever, ever correct me. Um, and on the front of this, where the hexagonal honeycomb is, uh, below it is, of course, a many-pointed marijuana leaf. Uh, And then it says below it, happiness, and then there's a definition given. Happiness, noun, is a state of mind, well-being, and contentment, semicolon, joy, comma, a pleasurable or satisfying experience, comma, a choice, ellipse. B, B-E-E, happy. Ellipse, naturally. Uh Uh-huh. When you get high... You think of all these creative things. Like, sometimes prepositions are homonyms. It's not just B, it's B. Right? It's two things at once. It's serving, it's being a jack of all trades. I don't know how this... Cock sucking. Ah, there we go. Uh, in any case, uh, 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 they, uh, they had some nice stuff, uh, and one of them was called Afgui, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and then this is the part I like the best. Um, it's, a, you know, sativa donovan, and it explains, because as you know, if you're a marijuana connoisseur, um, there's only one thing more boring than a wine snob, and that's someone who talks about the different strains of marijuana. <laughs> so let me assume the character of someone who's like that for a moment. I don't actually care. I've never cared. I only have two requirements of marijuana. Uh, am I high? And do I want to listen to music? That's it. I don't have a lot of... Can I watch Pride of the Yankees and cry? Sativa dominant. Because uh, people go, what's the differences between the different strains? Who fucking cares? Uh, you're a degenerate pothead. Just fucking smoke it and shut up. Do your dabs or whatever, smoke your Bubba Kush, eat, drink your Bubba fucking drinky doodle, whatever you're fucking doing. Eat your thing and just get high. 
I find that this one focuses me more for... No, it fucking doesn't. <laughs> You're watching Deputy Dog. You know, you're watching like a Project Runway marathon or whatever. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Don't fucking bullshit me that you're writing some novel. Sativa Dominant, which is, by the way, my marijuana dominatrix name. Cannabis sativa is known to produce an uplifting and cerebral high that is typically an energizing, stimulating, long-lasting, clear-head, and energetic-type high. If you want that, take an Adderall and drink a pot of tea. (laughs) If you want to sit at a stop sign for like half an hour, try some sativa dominant. That'll give you an idea of the kind of energizing that it'll do. You're like... I never realized that stop sign was a hexagon like a honeycomb. (laughs) Indica dominant. My cousin from far away. Hola. Hola, indica dominant. Mucho gusto, igualmente. The effects produced by cannabis-induced indica strains are very relaxing and narcotic-like. Finally, the truth can be told. (laughs) After five hits, you lay on the couch and you're like, fuck, I need a brownie so bad, but I don't know where they are. (laughs) At the bottom, they have all sorts of stuff. Old school doobies. And doobies is spelled, uh, old school is spelled S-K-O-O-L. Because, as you know, Bellingham is full of fucking gangsters. You see people driving in their Volvo, who banging, rolling four deep, fucking skeeting at the fly house. It is on. Yeah, don't even. It's a Suge Knight situation up here. Hand rolled with Happy Valley sweet sugar shake, packed end to end and wrapped in raw, natural, unrefined, organic hemp papers. Thank fuck. The first thing I'm thinking of when I huff a bone is I hope these papers were picked by people who were paid properly at the pulping plant. Five joint party pack or singles. Five joint party pack. Um, five's an odd number. Six. One, two, or three people can split six evenly. I learned that when I was smoking some sativa dominant. We've received so many lovely gifts here. Thank you very much for everyone who's given me a gift. Uh, Kimmy has given me this book by Juno Diaz, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Woe. Um, Oscar is a sweet but disastrously overweight ghetto nerd, a New Jersey romantic who dreams of becoming the Dominican J.R.R. Tolkien, and most of all, finding love. But Oscar may never get what he wants. Blame the Fuku, a curse that has haunted Oscar's family for gen- You're following this. Someone say stop. 
What's my salary? Salary? No salary. You're a waitress. You tips. How much are they? Once again, the glumness. It is without certainty. I don't understand. His brother Jose's bloodshot eyes glanced up from the sports section. What my brother is saying is all that it is that it all depends. And here's my Inca shaking her head. A waitress. But hija, you're a baker's daughter. You don't know the first thing about waitressing. La Inca assumed that because Bele had of late not shown any enthusiasm for the bakery or school or for cleaning, she devolved into a zangana. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to those of you who are not trying to accomplish something. Your devolution into a zangana is eminent. Thank you for that book. She also gave me a poetry book by Richard Seiken. This looks very interesting. I haven't read any of the poems, but they, I adore poetry. I don't think there's enough of it in the world. Uh, you know, we live in a world where um, Donald Trump has a television show every week. You know what I mean? I mean, the destruction of poetry. Uh, uh, where uh, uh, Mike Huckabee comes on TV and goes, I think this! And you're like, really? How am I supposed to think about the butterfly lighting on a grape and, and sticking its gentle proboscis into the sweet juices? And once again, the unbelievable sea breeze rolls by, and I watch a red-tailed hawk sail through the sky, and the eminent clouds just wafting by like so many marshmallows in an in a indica-dominant dream. <laughs> Where's that part of the world? Instead, you turn on the TV, and Dick Cheney's talking and shit. <laughs> You're like, oh, why does Satan get loose again? I thought we put him in that, you know, fucking cell in that monastery and put the crook in it or whatever, but I guess the guy in the Twilight Zone let him out again. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, it was also, what was your name, young lady, who gave me the Rush Limbaugh book? Christina. Christina, that is correct. Uh, <laughs> I, wanted, I know you enjoy classic literature. I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Uh, you'll understand the irony of classic literature when I read you the title of the book. Rush Revere and the American Revolution, Time Travel Adventures with Exceptional Americans, by Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Let's just pick something out here, shall we? As you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh has uh, been America's foremost um, buffoon <laughs> for the right uh, for some decades now. Um, his staunch refusal to be a part of the human race, his uh, playing to the grandstand and espousing uh, homophobic, misogynistic, anti-poor people, uh, dominant paradigm, putting forward war, uh, uh, saber-rattling, jingoistic uh, corporate nonsense has been uh, the through line of his career. Whether or not he believes anything he says is absolutely contestable. I would believe if you got Rush Limbaugh alone and you were fucking drunk, you might even laugh at some shit he said. Because... He is what I would call a, a jester for the right. Uh, he's the one at the very front line who goes, remember the Sandra Fluke thing of, of two years ago when he said, well, she wants people to pay for her birth control. She's a whore! You know, and you're like... I guess he never really looks in a mirror or thinks about his own personality or, or the fact that he was taking, what was it, 47.7 Oxycontin a day? He was taking so many thousand Oxycontins a month that he lost his hearing at one point. And my old joke was, uh, I'm surprised he was able to even function and do his radio show, taking 50 fucking Oxys a day. I'm surprised he didn't get on the mic and go, picture yourself in a boat on a river. Tangerine trees and marshmallow skies. Suddenly, someone is there by the turnstile. It's Hillary Clinton! <laughs> so, 
I guess this is the premise of this book is join us on this incredible time travel adventure exclamation point Liberty my wisecracking horse our old friends and I are off to meet some super brave soldiers in the year 1775 yep that's right I can't. I can't read from it. I've given him too much time. There's a picture of him that's been photoshopped beyond all recognition. He's practically Beyonce on the back cover here. And as you know, he disapproves of Beyonce because of her incipient negritude. I am, however, to, pr- to draw what you can describe as a male phallus. Dripping childishly down his... uh, And you know why this fits in with the theme of the book? This is Paul Revere's horse's cock. Someone else gave me a book, uh, a young man up front here. What was your name? Jack. Jack? Chet. Chet. Chad, Chadwick. Thank you for having a woman to back you up and correct you on your name. I enjoyed your music with Jeremy ever so much. You didn't think that was going to come, right? He gave me an, an excellent book here, which he's recommended. He said uh, the, uh, the illustrations are great, the writing he did not recommend. It's called Voodoo Child, the illustrated legend of Jimi Hendrix. And um, Jimi is, of course, Washington State's, uh, well, you've got Kurt Cobain as well, but my goodness, oh, and Gary Puckett, let's not forget him. <laughs> and Hart? Are Hart from here or Hart from <laughs> Make no mistake where you are You're going no further This is it No one will tell you Cause you know Michael McDonald's It's not up to me this time You know Comes a time in every life This is it Make no mistake where you are um, he wore more satin than any other cokehead from the 70s. <laughs> I think I had the album Full Sail in high school, for full disclosure here. That was Loggins and Messina, and that one, uh, I can't remember. What, I think that one had uh, my music. I didn't have your mom and I dance. I think it had my music. Uh, Kenny Loggins. Where's he from in Washington? Everett. Okay. <laughs> Kenny Loggins. No, a girl holds the world in a paper cup. Gonna drink it up. You don't think I know fucking Kenny Loggins. Even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. Everything you bring love. And in the morning when I rise, brings a tear of joy to my eyes. You tell me everything. It's gonna be all right. Yeah. He had jams, man. He had jams. 
Who, who could forget Danger Zone? <laughs> Jimi Hendrix is slightly cooler than Kenny Loggins. In so much as he invented being a rock god. Uh, and I think if you asked any of the musicians from the 60s that are kicking around still, certainly Pete Townsend would have said, uh, uh, Brian Jones and Jimi Hendrix nailed the fucking court down on dressing cool and acting cool at all times. And uh, uh, his music is a little... Is it... Peter, are you working? Will you... Can you come off the... Will you be able to play a Jimi Hendrix song if I ask you to? I would go, go back to music, press the menu button... I have an iPod that evidently no one can operate. My iPod is... Do this while I'm talking, Peter. An iPod... (laughs) is powered by steam, and it's... was invented by Archimedes. It's an ancient Greek iPod. It's nothing but gears. And the music is played through them, so... um, Did you find any? Will you you kick a jam? How about a little... Whoa, 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 uh, 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 cross-town traffic. For those of you who can't hear on Proopcast land, he said, something specific, huh? No, you know, being a sound person, just, you know, whatever. <laughs> Crosstown traffic, no? Crank that shit up. Thanks for turning it down so quickly. Um, Let's see. Like making love to one another musically, it says. Yeah, this looks good. Thank you, man. Uh, Jimmy's the coolest, and uh, I really appreciate... You set off, Mike. I really appreciate all your gifts. Uh, Thank you very much, Bellingham, for being so generous. Uh, Also, people gave me uh, other types of gifts, the kind that you can buy legally here. I've also received two different bottles of vodka, a beautiful bottle that's backstage, and then this bottle as well. Thank you for both of these. This is called Chuckanut Bay, which is the most lurid title for a vodka I've ever... <laughs> Next to Man Bag Beer, Chuckanut. <laughs> Ryan warned me that you don't have a license and you could be closed down by me doing this, so don't anyone say anything. Everyone hold your breath. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to pass the ball around the room or anything, Ryan. We want to play here again. Uh, Chuck and Nut. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I guess it's all in there. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's just have a... Let's have, oh, oh, oh. Ooh. It's not flavored. Made from 100% Washington State wheat. Can, how deucedly clever. I guess you can make it from anything, really. Uh, Greg, obviously you've never been in prison. You can make alcohol from plastic toys and guys' fucking scrapings, you know what I'm saying? Chuckanut, babe! If it was, uh, if I was Ryan, I would do it as Gordon Lightfoot. There's a babe on the plane, I'm chuckin' on, babe. 
Thinking the vodka, oh, the chicken nut bee, and the chicken nut She was riding on a pony through the wheat field there when she saw me there with her golden hair, and I chucked my nut her way. She climbed in a kayak and fucked off to chicken nut you can write us at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. You can write us a question at smartestatofspecialthing.com. Don't fucking email me about technical issues. I don't give a shit if it didn't work for you. <laughs> your thing didn't work when I went on the dining room with Brendan Kelly. You know, try it again. Turn your phone off and try it again. Uh, and I read all the emails, but I don't write, I don't write everybody back personally. But I do. And this was written to me by, uh, this one was a very exciting email I got this week. Because of the location it came from. I always talk about that in uh, Liechtenstein, there's only three people who've downloaded the show. And, you know, we're, we're pretty light in the lesser Antilles. And I think Molly's only on four or whatever. But these are all countries. And, um, but this one is the furthest flung. I think I've, I've received one from Madagascar and uh, other uh, wildly far-flung places. This is from a guy named Shuttle. I don't read people's last names because there has to be some privacy. And also, when you find out where this person lives, you'll realize that so few people live there. If I give his last name, you'll be able to find him immediately. Although, if you wandered around the hood he lived in and said, do you know Shuttle? People would be like, he's over there. <laughs> Dear Mr. Proops, yes, Mr. Shuttle. I thought you might be interested to know that mere hours ago, I was listening to your podcast while driving a Formorse Delta II over a 300-foot deep ice road situated at the base of an active volcano. I also regularly listen while drinking wine in the literal blanket fort that is my bed here at McMurdo Station, Antarctica. He sent me a picture of the foremost Delta II, and it is an awesome ice machine. It's gigantic. Uh, he is Zambonying the bottom of the world. Uh, thank you for listening. All the best, Shuttle. Thank you. All the best to you, Shuttle. I couldn't be more excited that they used to call it when we were little, Little America down there. But of course, as you know, uh, all the European powers and the South American powers uh, have divided up Antarctica so we can exploit it one day. Uh, yes, there's treaties and shit like that, but you tell me the Russians are digging for titanium or whatever and fucking using, uh, you know, penguins as fucking throw rugs. Are you impugning our Russian brothers? No, I'm just saying I don't trust Putin any farther than I could fucking Greek wrestle him. <laughs> P.S. And as you know, if you write me on fanmailforgreg at gmail.com, I ask that you say hello to the uh, TSA because Google barfs up information to the government so willingly. Um, you'll meet uh, 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 Dime a Dance boys, uh, not in Bellingham, but probably in the outskirts. I'm sure there's a few bars um, <laughs> that aren't as willing as Google is to barf up your information to the government. Just remember that since we live in a tech corridor here, or you live in a tech corridor, I live in the vast wasteland of West Hollywood. Um, 
that all technology is not benign. And you saw what's been going on this week. Uh, who was it? Samsung, uh, their giant interactive televisions, uh, the, the small, very finest, 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 finest print. The interactive television, you can go turn it to this, I want to watch the game or whatever, and it'll do it. It also records everything you say in front of it. So if you have sex on your couch, or if you talk in front of it, or if you go, boy, I'd like to fucking shoot some heroin in my eyeball before we go fucking down to the zoo and try to kidnap a hippo. Um, Samsung is spewing that information as quickly as they humanly can uh, to the TSA and every other government organization. That came out this week. Uh, so when people talk about Edward Snowden being a traitor and uh, Private Chelsea Manning uh, being a, a, a spy and whatnot, um, they're whistleblowers. There's a difference. They're telling the truth about the awful, unconstitutional things the government is doing. Uh, therefore, they are necessary. This is what the system of checks and balances includes in a free and open society. The fact that Edward Snowden has been exiled to Russia and that Private Manning is undergoing a transition from being a man to a woman in fucking federal military penitentiary. As I've said before, Chelsea Manning swings the biggest clit in the fucking United States. If you don't think that takes fucking clit, it does. Uh, I just can't get over the people's willingness to knuckle under to all this nonsense at all times. The net neutrality thing is coming up, and uh, it's a very big issue. Um, why? Well, one, I'm a podcaster, so it affects me directly, but also it affects all of us. Um, if they barf up uh, the rights to everything and give it over to the corporations, they're going to charge you more money for shittier service. That's all that's going to happen, and they're going to restrict the stuff that you're going to be able to see, and they're going to uh, 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 definitely be, be more mindful of content. As I've said on the show before, my biggest fear as that in five years' time, the FCC becomes aware that there's a thing called podcasting. Right now, they have no idea the seditious shit we get up to here. Let me put it this way. If I was on TV and just said what I just said, I wouldn't be on TV. If I said Edward Snowden was a hero, not a traitor, and that Chelsea Manning wasn't a spy, but was a hero and deserved to not be incarcerated, um, on TV they'd be all, <laughs> we're going to bring on some bloviating experts now who've been paid by Harvard think tanks to <laughs> tow the party line and spray some fucking talking points, dogmatic right-wing bullshit at you so that we all feel reassured to go back to our homes. Don't worry, Washington, you've got marijuana now. Try the dominant indica. So, Shuttle uh, has written a PS here. Since my job with the NSF is certainly funded by the same source as the NSA, I simply have to say, I love my job. <laughs> and he put an exclamation point, and then in parentheses wrote, exclamation intended, please read it in your particular style. Normally, I cross them out. This one, I'm adding another exclamation point to. <laughs> I make a lot of mistakes in the show, and there's errata, uh, Eric Estrada's, and addendums at all times. We try to correct everything we've said. Uh, there was the Sunday Bloody Sunday controversy of several weeks ago, for which I received over 7 billion emails. <laughs> Thank you for your kind indulgence. To err is human, to proopcast, divine. Uh, this fellow writes me, Jonathan. Uh, although his handle's not Jonathan, his handle's hilarious. Dearest eminence, yes, you may rise. Your Eminence is such a great title, isn't it? Although Marquesa is sexy. If you met a woman and she was a Marquesa, and she was wearing like a fucking mantilla, you know, with a, with a veil and whatnot, and had a fan and shit, 
wouldn't you want to have knee-high boots and fucking a velvet doublet on and, you know, a sword and, and like, a dagger in your thigh and, you know what I mean? Maybe a fucking, uh, 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 what are the, 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 you know, the the pistoleros that you crank and whatnot, one of those stuck in your fucking belt? Oh, yeah, and wearing, like, a, a, a shark's tooth that an Aztec gave you and shit. That's what I want. Try the indica. Dearest Eminence. Homine Patreo Spiritu Sancto I wanted to point out some mistakes in a few episodes. Then, I smoked a bowl, did a shot, touched myself tenderly, read a book, and had a nap. Now I don't want to point out any mistakes. Thank you, Jonathan, for not pointing out any mistakes. On the show lately, we've had a lot of... Uh, chit-chat and hipper-hopper about uh, the uh, 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 ephemeral uh, miniature emotional support muntjac, um, which I espouse uh, support animals, of course. Uh, the, a lot of people have emotional support animals. Uh, I'm finding out that the variety of emotional support animals that people have is dazzling. Obviously dogs and cats, but now pigs, we found out. Uh, ponies, small emotional miniature support ponies. And of course, I have an emotional miniature support, an ephemeral uh, emotional miniature support munchak. Why is he ephemeral? Because no one's seen my emotional support munchak. But it was at the Nerd Melt showroom when it appeared, and it made a weird barking noise. And everyone looked around for it, and I turned my light on, and then we couldn't fucking find it. So someone has written me, and they say, and it's uh, from Andrew, and he says, Hi, Greg, hi. The unenlightened know not of the legends of the wild creatures living in the Nerd Melt Theater. Some of these legends are ancient, some much more recent. I was fortunate enough to be in your audience the night the legend of the Munchak was born and able to experience the tiny deer for myself. <laughs> its short, punctuated bark echoing through the darkness over the incredibly uncomfortable seats and into the hearts and minds... <laughs> The seats at uh, Nerdmeld are scandalous. I don't know if you have ever been picked up by uh, the Estonian authorities before <laughs> and held in carcere, as they say. Uh, when they tie your hands behind the chair and shove a rubber hose inside you and apply ice uh, packs to your genitalia and then uh, an electrode to your, your nipples, at that moment you'll be like, you know what, all this torture is fine and well. This chair is fucking way uncomfortable. <laughs> It's going right up my butt. I'm not sitting right. You know what I mean? You know when you're not sitting right? When you're like that? And you're like, fuck! And then your tailbone starts to hurt, and you're like, why is my tailbone touching the chair? Because of poor design. Are there no Finnish people to go around the world and make everything work? Scandinavians have a devilish way with fucking furniture. You sit in a Swedish chair, and you're like, I'm going to write something. You sit in some of these shit chairs. Well, these are, you know, these are stage chairs. This one is one of these hilarious. Uh, does it have the, oh, no, it doesn't. It's an office chair, but it doesn't have the up and down uh, handles and all that shit. Pity. I love, I love going up and down in the chair. Oh, well, you, you kind of can, but it's not as fun. Uh, and the hearts and minds are the smartest. When you search the audience with your spotlight, I could have sworn the Munchak escaped through the back door into the parking lot. There will be tales told of the Munchak for future generations to ponder, and my offspring will be able to proudly claim my father was there. Some people say it's only a matter of time until it runs, returns to bark yet again. No, I don't hear it. 
Other people say my friend Eric, whom I convinced to go with me to your show, let out a stone-delayed half-laugh after you referred to the game's crew as his retinue, the rapper of the game. I don't have to tell you guys who the fucking game is. This is Bellingham and shit. Oh, yeah. Some people would also like to thank you for making Eric uncomfortable for the remainder of the evening. As for me, I choose to believe there was a Munchak checking out comedy and podcasting on the Sunset Strip one night in January. Thanks for the con- Thank you, Andrew, for that. Uh, the Munchak lives uh, in, our, in my mind, uh, and that's all that matters, really. Let's move through this very, very, very quickly. We've got to start the show. Uh, this is from CNN, but you don't really need CNN for this one. It happened uh, yesterday. By the time this goes out, it'll be old news, but it was fantastic. Uh, uh, Kate Brown make history on Wednesday. It'll already be over by then. When she sworn in as Oregon's next governor, the governor of Oregon resigned uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, John Kitzhaber. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Uh, John Kitzhaber uh, was a Democrat, and he was governor of Oregon for uh, 48 years. And... He resigned for the usual reasons, uh, for being corrupt and taking money, and his girlfriend was involved in the thing, or fiancé, or whatever they're calling it. In any case, this is what the exciting part is. Kate Brown will make history on Wednesday when she's sworn in as Oregon's next governor and becomes the first openly bisexual governor in the country. Uh, Awesome doesn't begin to describe Oregon's... I mean, first of all, having your governor have to resign, always good. Uh... It's so Illinois. Uh, if he does federal time, it'll be like full-on Illinois. Secondly, the Secretary of State has been an LGBT activist and is going to be the governor of fucking Oregon simply because of the line of succession. And then she'll have to run again next time, right? And one of the people she's going to have to run against is... Uh, Let's see here. Oh, well, there's a, there's a gay woman uh, who, who's going to probably run against her. Having a bisexual governor and then having legal marijuana in the same year says to the rest of the country, you know what? Put your flag down and take off your machine gun for a second. (laughs) We're bisexual, pot-smoking weirdos with bad whale art. Bad whale art. There's alder smoked salmon in the future. Chuckanut Bay, she wasn't quite gay, she was bisexual, so she met me halfway. Come and check in that Brown is married to a man and has served as Oregon Secretary of State since 2009. Uh, it's a job the 54-year-old Democrat didn't anticipate on taking. Here it is. She was considered a top uh, contender for the governor's race uh, in 2018. It's a sad day for Oregon. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, not that fucking sad. Get, get rid of his corrupt ass and let's move on to the bisexual people. Um, she uh, had a long career. Uh, she's six years as Secretary of State, 18 serving in the state legislature where she made her mark on issues like campaign reform and LGBT rights. Well, good for her. As I've said it on the show before, and I'll say it again, people who hide behind their religious beliefs and say that their religious beliefs don't allow them to allow their hearts to open up enough to believe that there are transgendered people, gay people, bisexual people uh, that deserve to be treated like human beings and that we're all the same under the gaze of the everlasting fucking goddess in the sky who looks down upon all of us and smiles. I have no time 
for that. It's narrow-minded, and I don't want to hear your opinion. Your opinion does not stand. When you get to whatever paradise you think you're going to, and you hold those opinions while you're down here, you're going to have to answer to a giant fucking transgendered fucking... Yeah, that's right. Because the afterworld is like orange is the new black, but with milkshakes and shit like that. We're moving right along. Jennifer sent me this one. And by the way, uh, uh, Jennifer uh, uh, isn't here tonight, uh, but uh, uh, it, we've been together a long time, and uh, Valentine's Day weekend is a very special time to us. And of course, I just want to say that the show would have never happened without her because uh, she uh, forced me to do it at the end of a pitchfork. And uh, no, she, she forced me to do it because she said, this is something you're, you're, you, that you should do. And uh, I agree with her. And for that, I love her. Well, I love her forever anyway. But it was just one more reason uh, to put in the plus column. <laughs> that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. I might have to edit the living shit out of that. I spent Valentine's Day um, performing freeze tag and having my hands in Ryan Stiles and Jeff Davis crotch all weekend with Joel Murray on top of me. So I love you, Jennifer. The New York Police Department, this is from this week, confirmed on Saturday morning no murders were reported overnight in the city of 8.4 million, making the first recorded 12-day homicide-free stretch. Experts say a series of cold snaps sweeping the city of help, keeping New Yorkers indoors and out of trouble. You may have noticed when the NYPD got huffy because they weren't allowed to randomly kill black people uh, and they went on strike and didn't be police for a couple of weeks that the crime rate didn't go up in New York and shit like that. Does that occur to anyone that perhaps there's too many police all over the United States and too much going on and that the crime rate's gone down anyway? This is sent to me, and I can't remember who sent it to me. Oh, was it, oh Stumble. Tweet. Uh, someone named Stumble on Twitter uh, shared this with me. Diana Moyer of Columbus, Wisconsin, was kicked out of a local McDonald's when a customer complained about her support animal, a baby kangaroo named Jimmy. <laughs> Moyer and Jimmy have frequented that McDonald's for months without issue. Until the fell day came. In Columbus, Wisconsin. This is from the Daily Citizen, Columbus, Wisconsin's paper of record. She describes Jimmy as a supporter therapy animal. According to her, a support animal is similar to a service animal, but a support animal does not have a specific task. Be a darling and go get me some more ice, Jimmy. <laughs> boing, 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 boing. Is that enough for you there? You all right, mate? Good eye. I love Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy the tiny support kangaroo. She didn't want to go into detail. Playing it close to the pouch. You're unbelievable. Uh, 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 uh,
She said she's disabled and visits a doctor in Madison who approves of the use of the support stroke therapy animal. She declined to share the doctor's name. Jimmy is the youngest of her current five kangaroos. Oh, I'm going to read their names. There are also Perry, two, Anna, three, Ruby, five. I'm not five, I'm six. Whatever, Ruby. And Charles, seven. Ruby and Charles are the mother and father of Perry and Anna. This was on Geek Prawn. Now we're moving on. We'll, we'll do that one later. I don't care about that one. Uh, very quickly, uh, uh, a little bit of boring preachy, and then we've got a lot of people to celebrate here. Um, this, this was... Uh, you know we talk about uh, all the time on the show uh, when it happened uh, a couple of years ago. I guess it was 2012. Um, there was a fellow who was going to be uh, the next president of France. He didn't end up being prime minister. Uh, Francois Hollande ended up, or Sarkozy, and then Hollande uh, ended up being prime minister. His name was Dominique Strauss-Kahn, and he was head of the International Monetary Fund. Um, he had, uh, uh, how do I put this without being sued by everyone who ever lived? He had rough, possibly consensual sex with a maid from Equatorial Guinea who was known for her abstemiousness and abject honesty. A maid who had returned many people's lost items, a maid who was beyond reproach. He claimed that uh, she consented to have sex with him because she was so turned on at the sight of him coming out of his room, uh, his bathroom in a towel around his waist. If you've seen what Dominique Strauss-Kahn looks like, he's absolutely what every man dreams of looking like. He's portly with a receding gray long hairdo uh, and a bearing that suggests uh, that his penis will be dominant no matter what happens, no matter how much Viagra you have to ladle into him. Um, He is, uh, I think I can characterize it safely by saying, the very epitome of a capitalist, um, fat, ugly, fucking pig of a human. Um, uh, He brings back the 19th century and Diamond Jim Brady and Tammany Hall. He really harkens back to an era where men were not only in charge of vast sums of the world's economy, but they were corrupt, venal, disgusting people without any morality whatsoever. What's changed? Fuck nothing. He just got... He just got caught. So you may remember the media shitstorm that followed when that woman was impugned and the charges were eventually dropped by the district attorney of New York. Um, Now he is on trial, not for that, but for having gone to many orgies in Paris. And under the French law, there is a a crime called pimping, which is when you uh, are procuring women and and using them for sex at various things uh, against the law. So he's on trial. The trial's going on right now. This is from Time Magazine, and it's called Five Jaw-Dropping Quotes from the Trial. The trial's been going on. There's also another dozen people on trial. Believe me, I have so much fucking information on this that I'm not going to bore you with it. We'll hit some highlights, and then we'll move on. Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the former head of the International Monetary Fund. What's the International Monetary Fund, Greg? The world is run by rich bankers. The International Monetary Fund is a force by which we keep third world nations under our thumb. When I say ours, I don't mean ours, because we derive no benefit from this whatsoever. The rich people's thumb uh, that owns all the giant corporations in the world and the interlocking, uh, connecting boards of directors of all the banks and governments uh, throughout Europe, Asia, wherever you want to think of. The International Monetary Fund is 
in charge of keeping Africa in penury and full of disease. That's what the International Monetary Fund is for. Um, don't they have some sort of official thing like the uh, National Treasury or the, uh, or the, what are the Federal Reserve? Um, sure. <laughs> and if they had exercised it, there wouldn't have been a worldwide global fucking economic catastrophe five years ago that fucked everyone. If they'd been monitoring it, if they'd been, if they had any sense of stewardship, if they had been doing what we would laughingly refer to as their goddamn job, um, if the United States government and the Securities and Exchange Commission, if the Bush and Cheney administration had at any point taken a look at the chicanery and the bilkery and the fucking flamfluzery that was going on um, with the, uh, the mortgage companies and, and, and all of these institutions, uh, Canada and Australia got off the hook easy because they wouldn't let their banks do what we let our fucking banks do. Who bailed them out? We fucking did. Um, uh, the heads of all these companies, uh, Jamie Dimon and Lloyd Blankfein, all the people I rattle on all the time, have received huge bonuses. And those companies carry on making tons and tons of money at our expense. That's what too big to fail means. Too big to fail doesn't mean everyone gets health care. Uh, too, to uh, too big to fail doesn't mean everyone gets bridges and roads and hospitals and that every child eats in this country. It means that the rich are taken care of by other rich people at the expense of everyone else. Um, and uh, So understand where he's coming from. And mind you, he was a lefty liberal. So don't tell me, uh, Rush Limbaugh, on your horse named Liberty, <laughs> that I don't take a shot at everybody. Uh, here we go. Uh, took a stand of French court on Tuesday to answer charges of aggravated pimping, uh, uh, which means engaging in illicit sex with prostitutes, at a series of orgies that supposedly took place at the Hotel Carlton in the northern French city of Lille. Now, we talked about... Um, uh, um, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, the Count Chocula of uh, Italy, and his bunga bunga parties. And you thought it couldn't get any more repulsive than seeing heads of state with fucking semi-boners with guys with AK-47s behind them while young girls lounged on chaises and had their bodies violated by these foul priapic members of these fucking over-fucking-annuated uh, hideous um, lords of industry and shit. But DSK takes it to a new level. Uh, was widely considered a prospective candidate for the French presidency, blah, blah, blah. An excruciating defense. He has admitted that he's done all these things. The, and, but he denies that anyone, uh, uh, he paid anyone for sex. He denies that he had sex with prostitutes. He went to orgies constantly. It gets better. Here we go. Only 12 sex parties. In a heated exchange, DSK accused prosecutors of making exaggerated claims to paint him as a licentious figure. The prosecution gives the impression of unbridled activity, he said. There were only 12 parties in total. That is four per year over three years. I'm talking eyes wide shut fucking orgies with old, fat, corpulent, fucking gross, disgusting men. Yeah, yeah. I won't go into detail. She threw herself at me. Asked how... This is things he said in court this week. The readiness of so many women to engage in sexual acts, he pointed to a pattern of romantic flings. What can I say? It's nothing to be proud of. But there have been 10 times I found myself in a situation where a woman threw herself at me because of who I am, because he was head of the IMF, libertine afternoons, rougher than average. In response to one eyewitness from Jade, a former sex worker, who testified she'd been pressured into having sex at a Belgian club, sex club, he said, I think I must have a form of sexuality which is rougher than the average. I'm beginning to realize that, and I deplore it. 
But I had no idea at the time that these experiences were so unpleasant as the women now say. This is from The Guardian. It's a saga of money, fame, and destitute women ferried to luxury locations for sex with powerful men against a backdrop of economic deprivation and social misery. France has been shaken this week by a harrowing testimony from a trial in Lille that not only put in the dock Dominique Strauss-Kahn, the former IMF fund chief and one-time French probe, but also a much wider, depressing picture of poverty, women submitted to sex acts against their will, and alleged pimps who refer to them as livestock. The grim stories of what the newspaper Liberation called the terrible daily reality of prostitutes that emerged in the broader Lille trial have shocked France and could push the socialist government, which claims it wants to abolish prostitution, to resurrect its plan to criminalize paying for sex, a law that got through Parliament but is stalled in the Senate. As you know, prostitutes are roundly and often Um, killed by men, abused by men, beaten by men, and have no recourse with the police or the system whatsoever. They have no protection under the law. However, Johns and the people who procure uh, the pimps are often not put in jail because they are men. Um, Sex workers have it rougher than anyone else, and don't let anyone tell you different. And this takes place in every country in the world, not just French, uh, French, (laughs) or France. I know this is sad and depressing, but I'm going to read it anyway, because if this show is going to stand for fucking anything, and I talk about feminism all the time, we have to be honest about this, listen to this news, and digest it, and understand that the leaders of the world, and I mean our leaders as well, every leader of the world, is doing these things. And if they're not doing them, they're countenancing these things. They're letting it go on under their aegis and under, with their blessing or their tacit blessing. Uh, they're letting these things happen because this is how the rich conduct themselves. People are commodities to them at this level. It's inhuman. And all I'm saying to you is that we have to understand that as humans, the reason why this is so repulsive and disgusting and awful and dismal to hear about, as the Guardian said, depressing, is because it's true and we have feelings. We are sensitive people who understand that this is wrong and needs to change at the very least. Um, these people, the bankers of the world and the rich people who run around, the, uh, 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 the scandal that's going on in England with, oh, fucking Christ, with Prince Andrew and um, that Epstein character, um, is vile beyond comprehension. It brings me back to the central point of the show that has been since the very outset. Women's rights are the primary concern of the world. Everything follows after that. The rights of sex workers, the rights of women in general, But what about children? Women bear children. Women raise children. Women are raising all the children of the world. Women are doing all the shit jobs in the world. Women are already doing way more than you imagine they're fucking doing at any point. Not just here, but in every country in the world. And in the third world, the unbelievable atrocities that are being committed on women every fucking day are unbelievable. Um, So in the first world, we have a deep responsibility to not only understand these stories and digest them, but to make sure that when one of these... 
fucking people gets caught occasionally, that some justice is done. Justice wasn't done in the United States for that poor maid that he was with. But I'm hoping justice is done to him in the French courts. What do you mean by justice? I mean jail time and a suspension of his rights and the diminishment of his fortune and the destruction of his stature. There's no reason you should be able to act like Caligula in this day and age and have the position of... I'm not talking about a regular fucking businessman who owns a lumberyard and is a dick to his secretary. I'm talking about the head of the International Monetary Fund who is dealing with countries' fucking uh, uh, futures and salvations, fortunes, whether country, whether people are going to live or die by the amount of money that's lent or not lent or called to debt by the IMF. That's the kind of gigantic responsibilities we're talking about. And this is the kind of person he is. I'm going to move on to a little part that I read in the Tribune, the Chicago Tribune today. It was off Bloomberg. And as you know, Bloomberg is no left-wing, bleeding-heart liberal site. This is by a writer named Leonid Bershidsky, a Bloomberg View contributor. He's Berlin-based. It shouldn't be a requirement for politicians and public officials to be paragons of virtue. In Europe, particularly in France, they rightly allowed their affairs and nasty divorces. Bien sûr. When Mitterrand died, his wife was there and two mistresses. At the funeral, in mourning, together, they sat with each other. Uh, they're right. That might be wrong, but you can fucking write me later. <laughs> Let me exaggerate for historical sake. French President Francois Hollande, if you may remember, last year, survived the 2014 revelations of a love affair with the actress Julie Gayette, which resulted in a highly public breakup with longtime partner Valerie Trewillier, which was a terrible blow for his administration. And uh, he'd been this lefty socialist, I'm a right guy, and then, of course, he was having sex with an actress. There's no direct connection between the missteps and affairs of the heart and the ability to govern. Yet, Strauss-Kahn's character flaw highlighted by his defense, is of a different kind. Uh, And this is what I want to get to. If he's telling the truth, then he was willing to accept favors as his due because of his position. That's only acceptable in a kleptocracy. A kleptocracy, by its very definition, and it's a Greek word like democracy and theocracy and oligarchy and tyranny, is a, a, a government run for the very rich. A kleptocracy means stealing at the top levels so that only the rich get money. This is someone in Bloomberg writing that he's supporting a kleptocracy. Anywhere else, and that would be our democracy, we hope, or France's democracy. Uh, Remember, France fought three revolutions to have a democracy. We only fought one. And then they were excited about ours, and they thought they'd have a bunch. (laughs) And then they let Russell Crowe sing in a movie. The perks of high office are a finite list that doesn't include rich gifts and willing women. It's scary to imagine the head of the IMF couldn't tell professional hookers from fellow libertines. One hopes he applied better judgment to nation's applications for last-ditch financial aid. Now, the sentence, hookers and libertines, makes my stomach churn that he wrote that. It's so unbelievably misogynistic and fucking short-sighted and male. However, the point that he makes, that he applied better judgment to nation's applications, as we discussed, for last-ditch financial aid, because that's what they are. 
the, the maid is from Equatorial Guinea, one of the greatest debtor nations in the world to the IMF. If the court takes Strauss-Kahn's defense at face value, it shouldn't accept naivety, myopia, or arrogance as mitigating factors. If anything, for someone as important as accomplished, which he was, he was so accomplished, smart, intellectual, and had that political connections that he was going to be the PM of France. Everybody thought so. They're aggravating. Humility. Humility. And an analytical intelligence are requirements for a strong leader these days, even as sexual continence is not. Um, analytical intelligence and humility are something this country could really look the fuck into uh, at some point. When you look at Congress and what's going on, wow. Speaking of which, here we go. Republicans delay confirmation of first black female attorney general. This is our country. Loretta Lynch is being held to a double standard. Senator Patrick Lee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, this was termed two days ago, was scheduled to vote Thursday on whether to advance the nomination of Loretta Lynch to the full Senate. She would be the first black female attorney general in the United States. Um... Diane Feinstein spoke of a double standard. I've never seen a witness in 22 years do better at a hearing, but I guess because Lynch is a woman, what I kind of object to is she singled out. Lee noted when he was chairman and President Bush nominated Michael Mukazi to the post, Lee he got the nomination through in 53 days. Uh, no Republican objected to him and him saying that uh, that answering wasn't appropriate. Orrin Hatch, one of several Republicans on the committee who supports Lynch, says he wants to see her confirmed but doesn't see any reason for the fuss made here. No, of course not. Why is there any fuss made over any black woman, particularly one who would be the first fucking black female attorney general? Um, let's be the same Congress we've been for the last fucking seven years and be obstructive, stupid, and get nothing done. Let's keep voting down Obamacare again and again. Let's keep, be, let's keep being uh, a, a, a second world Congress that spins its wheels and fights partisan and, and is only just axe grinding at all times. Let's be that stasis country that doesn't move forward at any point. Let's please, let's please have that vision for the future. Uh, I believe she will get through eventually, but this is what was going on this week here. Uh, Jamie Brewer made fashion history. This is from the website Mashable. Let's switch uh, tone here and go to something very uplifting about women. The American actress, best known for her role in the FX series American Horror Story, was the first model with Down syndrome to walk in New York Fashion Week. She wore an original design by Terry Hammer. Uh, Hammer uh, it, uh, was inspired to include Brewer after she received an email from Katie Driscoll, co-founder of the nonprofit Changing the Face of Beauty, which advocates for the inclusion of people with disabilities. Last year, Ms. Hammer uh, had a woman come out in a wheelchair uh, at her fashion show. She also said, let's see here, what is it? Um, uh, I call it runway revolution. Women can see these women in high positions and see they're beautiful and feminine and incredible. And I, want young, I hope young women see this and say, I want to do that, I can do that. Um, she also said something else that I can't find in the article here. My wife pointed it out to me. She said she wanted women to be, oh, here it is. Um, it exceeded every one of my expectations. When I think it can't get any better, it gets 10 times better. The women were so happy, and that's the most important thing to me. I do Carl Lagerfeld a lot on the show. <laughs> And if there's one thing Karl Lagerfeld has never said about his models, it's that it's important to him that women are happy. <laughs> he did a fashion show last year, and they ran out there with signs that said feminism and shit like that, and it was all just kind of, you know, commercial yuck. 
The idea that Chanel would put a model with Down syndrome or a woman in a wheelchair out there is absolutely irretrievably inconceivable because they're owned by gigantic corporations like Moet Chandon and Louis Vuitton and all those giant conglomerates that own all the beauty corporations. I adore fashion, and my wife gave me this article, uh, and, uh, and she's a, very, a dedicated follower of fashion, and I, I love clothes and the whole thing, but... Having her go out there and, and walk down the runway is such a beautiful moment. The thing that I detest about fashion is that it enforces all these strict um, notions of what beautiful is. Uh, uh, like I said about sexuality, uh, beauty comes in a lot of different guises. And as they say, um, what people look like isn't always um, the most beautiful part of them, uh, right? So let's get up on that. Uh, oh, God, that's so depressing. <laughs> we'll do that next time. We'll do that one next time, too. A couple of uh, goodbyes, and then we'll... Um, let me just read this to you. Speaking of depressing. Did I read this in the last show? I can't remember. This is from Janini Balasubramanian. It's not you, it's the system. Uh, Design and Technology for Social Good is the name of the um, book. Poverty and racism, etc., are not poorly designed system. They are systems working exactly as they were designed. In order for rich people to continue to amass wealth, poverty has to exist. In order for white people to have the racial privilege in the U.S., slavery had to happen, genocide of indigenous people had to happen, and the exploitation of all people of color had to happen, and has to continue. Poverty and racism racism exists to serve those in power, and ultimately, as long as we are taking our cues in capital for from those in power, we aren't changing a thing. For example, if your vision is to create a social venture that provides a product to the bottom billion, and not to, say, eradicate slavery, wage slavery, and other worker exploitation that keeps the bottom billion at the bottom, then ultimately, you're not designing to resist poverty. You're designing very well-thought-out band-aids. Um, I just thought it was a very well-put... Um, uh, quote, uh, that poverty and racism are not poorly designed systems. The idea of the International Monetary Fund, the idea of uh, the corporate uh, oligarchy that we enjoy here in America, the idea of the Citizens United ruling that the Supreme Court uh, enacted uh, that allowed uh, corporations to be people and allow unlimited funding to be given by giant concerns uh, to um, sway elections and by politicians. And you can see by uh, how idiotic this Congress has been that they're the most bought Congress in the history of the United States. Uh, And I'm talking about Reagan, any administration. Reagan's administration was hilarious because I think there was about 230 fucking felons and that everyone went down people were in jail everyone went to fucking jail people you you hear on tv well reagan was a great leader and literally like 200 people were arrested in his administration the secretary of the interior the fucking head of the cia was like killed in hospital it was fucking it was a melee don't believe that shit you hear on the fucking news um a couple of things uh, and then we'll move on into this good night. And I, I want to thank you again for all the um, awesomeness that you've uh, shown me here tonight. Uh, Dean Smith passed away. Dean Smith was the uh, co- a coach of uh, North Carolina, came up through Kansas. Um, Dean Smith uh, was one of the great uh, racial motivators. And uh, uh, he, he had black uh, 
players on his team when they were not even allowed, really. He was eating lunch with them. He was flagrantly violating all the rules of college basketball and how racist it was. And he was a great innovator in the game. Uh, as you remember the picture of Michael Jordan kissing him on the top of his head. Um, uh, as as uh, basketball coaches in a giant corrupt system like that go, he was one of the good guys. And uh, we will miss Dean Smith. He's swirling in the heavens tonight. Uh-oh, only 20 seconds on the shot clock. I think he had 50 players, as well as his um, championships and his Olympic gold medal. He had uh, uh, somewhat over 50 players go into the NBA. Jerry Tarkanian also passed away. There you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, he might be one of the bad guys, but, you know, it's not for us to judge. Uh, he'll have to meet his maker. Uh, and let's just hope that uh, St. Peter isn't on the board of the NCAA, because... Uh, this is from a website called Tin House. Uh, Shama el-Sabag. Uh, like many of you here at Tin House, we've been mourning the death of Egyptian poet Shama el-Sabag. Ms. Sabag, 31, was shot down in a mass riot police, this is this week, while trying to place flowers in Tahrir Square on January 24th. We've asked Egyptian poet and translator Maged Zaire to share some of the poet's work with you and celebrate her life. Her name, if you're going to ask me again, is Shama el-Sabag, S-H-A-I-M-A-A, and then her last name, E-L hyphen S-A-B-B-A-G-H. She was an Egyptian poet. Um, the police shot her down. Um, there's much unrest, as you know, all over the world, uh, particularly in Egypt uh, and uh, uh, Iraq, Syria, whatnot. Uh, there was the horrible shootings in Copenhagen, the horrible shootings in Chapel Hill. All of our hopes and wishes go out to the victims and the people who surround the victims. The people who commit these acts, I'm never saying their fucking names on the show. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, I'm going to read one of her poems here. It's, a, it's not... Uh, there's a lot to tell about a poet from two poems. There's nothing to tell about a poet. In the Egyptian 60s, poets were people with a cause, and it showed. This was especially manifested in vernacular poetry. Ahmad Fuad Negim as the iconic poet, whose delicious rhyme. In any case, when Shaima was killed, poetry lost an authentic, humane, generous, and capable voice. Um, here is the poem. I am the girl banned from attending the Christian religious classes in Sunday Mass is the name of the poem. I'm the girl banned from attending the Christian religious classes in Sunday Mass, although I'm a witness to the crucifixion of Jesus in Egypt train station square at the height of the morning. Even then, all the windows were open and the blood was racing, the cars on the asphalt. The eyes of the girls are running in heaven and catching the forbidden rocking chair. I'm the girl banned from love in the squares. I stood in the middle of the street and gathered in my hand the stars of the sky individually and the sweat of the street vendors, the voice of beggars, and the people who love God as they damn this moment where the creatures of God approved. To crucifying Christ naked in the crowded square on the clock arms as it declared one at noon, I'm the girl banned from saying no. We'll never miss the dawn. Uh, yeah. And poets are taken down. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, a, couple of, a couple of quick ones, and then we're going to get to a longer one. Charlie O'Connell uh, evidently has passed away. I don't know if anyone remembers roller derby from the fucking 60s and 70s. Uh, I am from San Francisco. And our team was the Bay Area Bombers. 
Roller Derby was owned by a guy named Jerry Seltzer. He owned the whole league. All the teams played for the same owner. It wasn't like a, a leagues now where there's all these different billionaires in their uh, boxes uh, caballing with gangsters to make sure the Super Bowl goes their way. It was one owner of all these. Thank you. It was one owner. Uh, and um, the, uh, the Roller Derby, I, it was on Sunday morning uh, when I was little, and I would get up and watch it and eat cereal and shit like that. The, Joni Weston uh, passed a few years ago. Joni Weston had dyed purple hair and shit. There was women's roller derby, too, which, of course, there still is, brilliantly. Um, in any case, Charlie O'Connell was the fucking Lord God King greatest roller derbyist of all time. Uh, hey, Dave, put, he put this on Facebook. Shocking, unexpected news. Our greatest male skater, Charlie O'Connell, passed away. He made the game the hard-hitting, fast action that America loved. O'Connell, whose status in the game could best be understood by his nickname, Mr. Roller Derby. <laughs> was the star of the San Francisco Bay Bombers dynasty from the late 50s until the closing of roller derby at the end of 73, aside from skating one season with the New York Chiefs. His popularity can be with Bruno Sammartino during that era, but O'Connell was more well-known nationally because the Bay Bombers were syndicated on television through North America and had 15 million weekly viewers, including me in my pajamas. Charlie O'Connell is fucking jamming in heaven right now. He's jumping over a line of skaters and putting his elbow up someone's fucking ass. Right on, Charlie O'Connell. Gary Owens passed away and is swirling in the heavens this week. Gary Owens was on Laugh-In. He played the announcers. He was 80. Uh, he was best known as Rona Martin's Laugh-In, 68 to 73. He, he would go like this, from beautiful downtown Burbank. It's Big, D- Big Dan Rowan and Big Dick Martin. Oh, yes, he did. Uh, Beautiful downtown Burbank was his uh, catchphrase that he created. And, of course, Johnny Carson later used it on his show. 3,000 cartoons. He was the voice of Space Ghost on the original Space Ghost. Blue Falcon, Roger Ramjet, Powdered Toast Man, and Batman. Garfield and Friends, Fantastic Four, Eek the Cat, Bobby's World. So, I'm at a voice audition about seven years ago in Hollywood. I'm in there. There's fucking Gary Owens. And he had, he was, so he's 80 now, he was probably 73 then. Dyed hair, dyed eyebrows, dyed beard, right? He had the glasses on and shit, and I go, hi, Gary, how are you? Hi, Greg, how are you? He had a beautiful voice, right? And he goes, where are you from, Greg? And I went, San Francisco. And he went, you know, I said to my wife, when we retire, we're going to move. And I went, and he went, what? And I went, Gary, retire? He was 73 at an audition. For a fucking cereal ad or whatever the fuck it was. I went, retire? When are you retiring? He went, <laughs> I mean one day. He never retired. He worked till the very end. He also did a couple of albums with Jonathan Winters because he was good friends with him. Gary Owens was a lovely comedic voice in this universe. Uh, and he, if you look into the sky, you can see him swirling around tonight with his hand on his ear and a giant nebulae behind him that says, On Air. We're going to end the show on something of a somber note here tonight because uh, I've had a personal friend pass away this week. He walked on Monday, and uh, he was an artist from San Francisco named Rex Ray. He was a friend of mine, and I knew him for uh, some 20 years. My wife, 
was very, very close friends with him indeed. Jennifer and he went back some time, and uh, he worked at City Lights in San Francisco before my wife uh, had a job at City Lights Bookstore there. And my wife has written his obituary uh, tonight. Uh, know that he was um, uh, swirling in the heavens as we speak. Oh, Kittens McTavish, I can't find the goddamn page, but I will. Uh, Peter, will you play that uh, David Bowie song? Um, Rex Ray was an artist and um, did quite a lot of uh, album art as well, including several David Bowie album covers. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, and they were cool as fuck, as was he. Mm. Thank you. Now, okay, there we go. I'm going to read this. It's from Jennifer. And then I'm going to ask you to put on that Eno song. And we'll say goodnight right after that. Thank you very much for all the gifts you've given me tonight. And thank you very much for all the love. This is my third podcaster in Bellingham. And I know Ryan hates it when I thank him because he detests gratitude. But thank you, Ryan, for being such a right guy. The artist Rex Ray moved on this Monday morning, February 9th. He was Michael Patterson from Colorado that became Rex Ray in San Francisco. We worked together at City Lights. He was once dubbed the meanest of all of us, which was quite a feat. Walking away mid-sentence when an over-eager German tourist wanted to share his enthusiasm for Salinger, Rex did not suffer fools. The book covers he designed for City Lights took the former scholastic look and gave it a colorful, fanciful, even decadent gloss and sophistication. He and his significant other gent made magic out of a glass eyeball in an ashtray full of milk surrounded by smoke for a book by Bataille. Any band of import who played San Francisco had their poster designed by Rex. And that cool club, yeah, the invite with a distorted screenshot of Dovima was his. David Bowie asked him to design his album covers. His work was everywhere, yet constantly morphing because his field of reference was so deep. He didn't just traffic in lovely design. He was an archivist and a mad collector. He knew what you might be into before you did, and he had it already, and he had it on vinyl. He had the book before you read the review, and he'd already cut it up and made it into something you wanted to put on your wall. When people were just collecting CDs, he was already over them and made a quilt out of hundreds of jewel boxes. 30 years ago, he made a painting that was half paint by numbers Jesus and the other half a big fuck you. He was making art for Act Up. He had a show with another gay artist named, San Francisco artist named Wayne Smith called Some Weird Sin. He helped other artists like the late Jerome Caja who painted with nail polish and makeup. Most people who know his paintings his works from the ph uh, phenomenal brightly colored collages and psychedelic paintings, all of them painstakingly handmade. Because he was so modest, many people didn't know of all of his exploits. He was involved with the art band The Residents. He co-wrote a play, he acted. He just couldn't sit still for a second. Even when ill, he didn't complain, he didn't have time. Instead, he became a voracious reader and shopaholic. He bought art on impulse like Polaroids taken by his hero, Andy Warhol. He felt the need to buy over two dozen copies of Eno's No Pussy Pudding. Above all, he was an inspiration. I felt unconditional love from him. He never allowed himself to get too serious. He was killer with a witty comeback. He was encouraging when he himself was so ill. His sense of discipline didn't let him down when he was in pain for those last four years. Somehow, he could have a coherent conversation while on the strongest painkillers, unable to walk. 
Last month, he casually told us he's lost a sight in one eye. In ICU, he told me he felt optimistic. He said the lava lamp, he said the lava lamp Greg brought for his hospital room was lovely in the morning. He never gave up. There was a parade of people to see him at the end, from the guy at his favorite record store to his fellow artists. David Bowie phoned. Rex was so high on meds, he asked, who is this? He fucking did. In a book about his work called Rex Ray Art and Design, he said, I'm not as much confident as I am fearless. I have a lot of doubt and a lot of insecurity when I go into a given situation, but I don't let it stop me. Let that be a lesson to all of us. Carpe fucking diem. Rexway was 58. As Oscar Levant said when told of George Gershwin's death, it may be true, but I don't have to believe it. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. If you play that song, Peter. May every page that turns for you be a Sacho page. May every bell that rings be a cool copper bell. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but peace and love. Good night.